Well, good morning and welcome to the Mount, whether you happen to be joining us here at our Stafford campus, down at our Fredericksburg campus, or online, wherever you happen to be, we are excited if today is your first time. We are in week number three of a series titled Money Talks, and over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at money and how we can handle or utilize or think about our finances in a biblical way, and as we've gone through this series, we've said every week that the topics kind of build, and so just just as a recap, let's kind of go back and look at where we've been. If you remember, we said from the very beginning that money and life are intertwined. They are connected, right? There is not a single area or facet or sphere of our lives where we are not thinking about, interacting with, planning, dreaming, frustrated, stressed, anxious, whatever it happens to be, when it comes to the topic of money, we interact with it on a daily basis hourly, maybe minute-by-minute basis, depending on what you do for a living. And so because money and life are so intertwined, what this means is that you and I as human beings, whether we want to be or not, we are in a relationship with money. We are intimately, deeply connected to it. It is part of our life. And just like any other relationship, any other human relationship we might have, the relationship that we have with money can be either life-giving or dysfunctional. And when you think about it, for the majority of us, if we're being really, really honest, right? Like we've, we've said that throughout this series, let's be as honest as we can. We have said that the majority of us, when it comes down to it, we have an incredibly dysfunctional relationship with money. Why? Because money talks. We live in a society and a culture where money says things. And sometimes those things are are whispers to us. Sometimes they are bold, blatant things based on the way we grew up. Maybe it's based on advertising we see. Maybe it's just based on this, this idea of the American dream and what that means. But there's something about our society where money tells us things. And also, Scripture says things. What's interesting to me, though, is that for the majority of us, when we believe and listen to what money says, what is normal, what do we get? Normal results. We get stressed. We get anxious. We lose sleep. We get frustrated. We go into debt. We have arguments and fights and disagreements with our spouse and our kids. I don't know about you, but I said this in week one, maybe normal isn't working. Maybe what everyone in society, when money says this is what blank is, maybe the more we listen to it, the more broken and more heartache and the more turmoil we actually experience in life. But I love the fact that even though money talks and money talks a lot, Scripture says a lot as well. And we've said over the course of this series, and so this will be a recap for some of you, we've said that the Bible actually has a lot to say about money. In fact, there are over 2,300 verses in the Bible dealing with the topic of money and possessions. We've said, just for context, that is four times as many verses as there are dealing with prayer. Four times as many verses as there are dealing with the topic of faith. In fact, the Bible speaks of money and possessions so much that even in just the first kind of four books of the New Testament, the Gospels that talk about the teaching and the life of Jesus, what we find is that 15% of everything that Jesus said dealt with money and possessions. 
In fact, a full two-thirds of every parable or story that Jesus told was a story or parable related to money and its significance. It's clear in Scripture that money is a significantly important topic. Why? Because if you remember, we've said that there is a connection between our spiritual lives and money. The two are intimately, deeply connected. There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives, our spirit, and how we think about and handle and use and spend and save and earn money. They are intimately connected. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where he says, wherever we spend our money, our heart will follow as well. Why? Because our spirit life follows our finances. And we've said this is a good thing if we spend it wisely, if we save it wisely, and we earn it wisely. But this means that if we spend it and save it and earn it from a selfish heart, we become selfish people because the two are intimately connected. And here's the, the connection we also see. is because they are so connected, what we see in Scripture, when, when Jesus talks about money, it's almost as if money makes these claims or these promises, and they are the exact same promises and claims that God makes, and they are in direct competition with each other. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've said several things. We've said this. We said week one, that money says, chase me, and I will make you happy. But God says, I am enough. Money says, you want to be happy? Like, you want to live the good life? You want to find joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose and have this great life? You want to find that happiness? Then chase me, get me, earn me, seek me, get enough of me, and just get more and more and more. And God says, listen, I'm enough. Your happiness is found in me. I'm enough. And in week two, when we talked about savings, we said that money says, hoard me, and I will give you security. But God says, trust me. Money tells us, you want to make your future secure? Get enough. Hoard me. Have a, have a security blanket. Have a, have a comfort. Make sure you have enough to weather whatever storm comes because life is unpredictable, but the only thing that's predictable is having me to help you get through it. And God in his wisdom says, yes, I want you to save. Yes, I want you to be like the ant who is wise, but also I want you to realize that you need to trust me for your future. Don't hoard it. Trust me. Put your trust in me, not your money. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to kind of move on to our next topic in this series and talk about what money says when it comes to the area of spending. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. One of the things that money says to us is spend me, spend me, spend me, spend me. Now, I recognize that some of you have like the, the spiritual gift of spending money, like you're really good at it. Like if you were kind of like taking a survey of like all the Americans, you're like, man, I'm probably top 50% on how good I spend money, like maybe even top 10%. Like I, I practice it so much so often that like if there was an NBA team for spending money, I would be a starter and a superstar at, you know, the, the draft max kind of thing. And that's great. And so some of you, like you're so good at spending money that you're able to find like these clever loopholes of how you can spend things and it still rationalize it in your mind. And so let me give you some examples of ones that I found online from people. This person says, if I don't buy my coffee today, then I'm actually making money that I can use tomorrow. 
This person says, anything I buy with my Venmo or my Cash App balance is just free because I never saw that money in the first place. <laughs> I love this one. This person says, if I buy something for $300, but I use it every single day, it really only costs me a dollar a day, so it's actually basically free. <laughs> this one says, if you buy something for 50 and return it, and then buy something else for 100 you really only spent $50, so that's a great deal. And this one, this one cracks me up. I, like, this one cracks me up because I've said this before, I think, in my life. It says, if you spend an extra 20 to avoid paying the $5 delivery fee, you actually saved money. <laughs> I don't know why we think that, right? Uh, here's two more for you. If you don't spend anything today, then you really have double the budget for tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe. And the last one, this is one of my favorites. Anything that I pay cash for is free because it does not show up on the online statement. <laughs> Some of you are really good at spending money. Now, before we dive in, let's just pause and kind of make it the most basic, kind of fundamental, kind of maybe something you've never heard in church before. I just want to tell you this. Spending money is not a bad thing. Maybe you grew up in a certain church culture or context where you were taught, like, don't spend money. Use everything you have for, like, like have food and shelter and clothing and everything else. Send overseas to, to orphan children who can't survive, and you're never to spend anything. And every time you take a sip of that pumpkin spice latte, you should feel guilt and shame. Listen, that's not true. Like, spending money is not a bad thing. And in fact, I fundamentally believe that finances, money, wealth, and even some material possessions are gifts from a good and holy and loving God. And in fact, we see in Scripture where, where Scripture says that every good thing we have, our Father in heaven, for those of us who love him, he loves to lavish gifts upon his people. He provides for them and is a means of his grace, to use the theological term. God loves to gift his people with things that bring them joy, not so they can find satisfaction in it, but because he wants his children to be happy, much like we want our children to be happy on their birthdays or Christmas or every day of their life. God God blesses us with those things. They are good things. We see all through Scripture where there are, are wealthy people, and they're not sinful for being wealthy. Now, maybe their attachments is where it goes wrong. We see this in the rich young ruler. Because what happens is, and maybe you've experienced this before, I know I have in my life, is there are so many times where God gives us good blessings abundantly, and we have this natural innate ability as human beings because of our brokenness, our sinfulness, and our fallen nature ever since the Garden of Eden, that we take these gifts made by the Creator and we point our worship to them, the created things, not Him. And in turn, as human beings, what we have this ability to do is take good things like money, possessions, sex, whatever it happens to be, and we turn those good things into an instrument of selfishness. You see, spending money is not the bad thing. It's what happens when we spend it from the wrong heart or for the wrong purpose or with the wrong belief. For many of us, in America, unfortunately, we've never really thought about why we spend. We, we remind me of Haggai chapter 1, verse 6, deep in the Old Testament, where it says this. Haggai says, he says, you have planted much, but harvested little. 
You eat but never have enough. I don't know about you, but I feel that at times, right? You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. Like all of these, what he's saying is he's saying, listen, you have food but it's not enough. You have clothes but it's not enough. You have drink but it's not enough. Your heart is never content. There's this eternal discontent living in you where no matter what you have, no matter what you get, no matter what you spend, it's never enough. Why? Because you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. The idea, the imagery here is that you and I as human beings, we want something to fill us, to long the, the satisfaction that we're missing. So we earn money, we make money just to put it in something where it funnels right through it. It has holes in it. Because for the majority of us as Americans, when money says spend me, we listen. And in turn, what we do is we spend and we spend and we spend every single bit that we make sometimes more. In fact, I shared this with you before, but the average person in America, 55 to 62%, almost two-thirds of us are living paycheck to paycheck, spending everything that we make week after week, month after month, year after year. Why? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why? Why does it feel like we are just an empty purse that the moment it hits the account, it comes right back out? Because I think money promises us something. Money makes a claim, and it says this. Money says, spend me. It says, spend me. I'm yours. You can do what you want. Money tells us you are the owner. It belongs to you. It's yours. Right? Like, you earned it. You worked hard. You went and got that degree. You went and put in that time at boot camp. You did all of those things. You got up early. You commuted down that horrible road all those times. You spent all that time in traffic. You came home late. You missed all that time with your family. You put in the hours. You did the grind. You did the work. It is yours. It's yours. Do what you want with it because it is your money. You own it, and therefore you can spend it however you want. And because we believe we are the owner, it's an essence deep in our heart. We believe this. We believe that my money is my money and I can do what I want with it. My money is my money and I can do what I want with it. And you may say, no, that's not me. I don't, I don't think that. <laughs> this is the reason we don't like it when the church talks about money. Because we know, like, we're smart people, we're educated people. We know at some point during a series on money, the pastor is going to tell us, to live the life God has called you to live, you need to be generous. We say, no, pastor, it's my money. You can't tell me what to do with it. And I can say, well, it's not me, it's scripture. Sorry, God, it's my money. You can't tell me what to do with it. Because we believe we own it. I earned it. I deserve it. It's mine. Here's what's interesting to me in scripture. If money says, spend me, I'm yours. God says it's mine, manage it wisely. You see, the interesting thing in scripture is that every single aspect of you and I's financial life, the way we earn, the way we save, the way we spend, and the way we give, we, in reality, have zero ownership 
over. Your money, your finances, your investments, your salary, your possessions, the way you spend your money is not yours. It all belongs to God. And you say, that's a bold statement, Adam. Like, where are you getting this from? Well, there's some passages in the New Testament that talk about the idea of being a manager versus an owner. But let me give you an example from 1 Chronicles 29. It says this. It says, wealth and honor come from you. That's not you. It's talking about God. Wealth and honor come from God. Why? Because he is the ruler of all things. When it says all, just go go back to the slide. When it says all, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. The Hebrew word for all there literally means everything. Like it means all. It doesn't mean you are the ruler of the spiritual things. You are the ruler of some things. No, it says wealth and honor come from you. Why? Because God, you are the ruler of all things. Therefore, you are the ruler of wealth. You are the ruler of honor. Everything comes from you. And your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. You freely give that strength to everyone, God. Go to the next slide. Now, our God, we give you thanks. Because you are the ruler and creator and sustainer and owner of everything, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Scripture is clear over and over and over. We see it in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it's not going to be on the screen, where it literally says that everything we own, everything we earn, everything we make, all of our wealth is simply a result of God giving us the passions and the abilities to even make that in the first place. Why? Because he is the owner of everything. He is the one who created the earth from nothing and staked a claim in it and said, mine. He is the one who created you from nothing and put a claim on your heart and said, mine. And he is the very same one who puts a claim on your bank account and says, mine. You are just tasked with the responsibility to manage it wisely. It's not yours. You're just the manager. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says it this way. A person who is put in charge as a what? A manager must be what? Faithful. The idea here is for those of us that confess and believe in Jesus, we have been given a tool from the creator of everything. And he has said, manage it faithfully. What does that mean to manage it faithfully? It means that since we are not the owners We need to be continuously thinking about and answering the question, how would the one who owns this want me to use this? That really changes the way we spend things. Instead of how do I want to spend this? How do I want to use it? No, no. How does the one who owns this that I'm accountable to, it is his money, his bank account, how should I use his resources in this world to make a difference or for my family or for those around me? How should I use his money as the owner And this is important because this means that when he is the owner, that every single spending decision that we make is a spiritual decision. And I want you to let that sink in. Every spending decision you make is a spiritual decision. You see, there's this weird dynamic in the church world where we are told, like, 
God's the owner, like it's his, you're just the manager. So what you need to do is you need to give back to God what is his. So there's this thing called the tithe. Set aside 10% and give that to God and then you can live off the other 90%. And so inherently, without being like intentionally saying this, what we believe is if I can honor God with this 10%, then I can do whatever I want with the other 90% because that 90% is mine. I gave God what was his. And here's the reality. If it is all his, then all 100% of every Everything we have should be used and spent in such a way to bring God glory and honor, not just the 10% we set aside for him. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. And here's the reality. What this means is that as a manager, when it comes to your money, you have no rights, just a responsibility. You have a responsibility to shepherd the tool that God has given you in the manner he wants you to use it. So here's what I want to do. I want to help us spend our money wisely. And so over the, the course of this series, we've said that we want to be as practical as we can and make these easy steps. And so we talked about earning and we talked about saving. And today, I want to get as practical as I can when it comes to talking about helping us control and kind of have dominion over our spending because here's what I believe and I've said this every single week my goal through this series is not what I can get from you what the church can get from you my goal through this series is to help you live your life in a biblical manner around this area just like you would prayer or worship or devotionals or scripture reading or whatever it is because I firmly believe with everything in me that there is so much freedom and hope that is available when we live according to Scripture's commands in this area of our life. And so how can we spend better? So the first thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to evaluate your spending habits. I want you to evaluate your spending habits. What I want you to do, and I, I, I mean literally do this. I don't care if you like make a million dollars a year or if you make $10,000 a year. I don't care. I want you to go home and I want you to sit down. I want you to pull up your online statements. If you're like still a paper statement or a checkbook person, it's 2023, but that's your, that's your call, right? But like, I want you to pull up whatever you use and I want you to look back over the last 45 to 60 days. And I want you to kind of begin to categorize all of those expenses. And you can make up your own categories. Uh, you can, you know, you're gonna have like mortgage or rent payment. You might have, I don't know, car payments, car insurance. You might have eating out. You might have going to the movies. You might have golf, whatever. What, you make up your categories, right? If you're like, I'm so overwhelmed, I don't know how to make up categories. If you go to uh, Crown Financial's website, it's a tool we use here at the church for some of our build classes. If you go there, they have a thing called an estimated budget worksheet. And it has pre-filled in categories. Categories. Just download that sheet and write on there. I want you to look at everything you have spent for the last 45 to 60 days. Put it in these categories, okay? Here's why. Because 65% of Americans, two-thirds of Americans, have zero idea where their money goes each and every month. Let that sink in. That means that two-thirds of us at all of our campuses, at the end of the month, we have probably asked this very question, where did it all go? Because we have no idea. And it's not just the people who make little. Statistically, the more money you make 
and you begin to create more margin in your spending, you track it less and less. So I want you to sit down. Why is this important? Because every single spending decision that you have made over the last 45 to 60 days has been a spiritual decision. And what I want you to look at is I want you to see how you are spending your money and I want you to ask yourself this question. Is the way I spend my money reflective of what I believe? If I believe that stuff things, possessions will not make me happy, does my spending reflect that? If I believe that Jesus in his infinite wisdom says it is better to give than receive, does my spending reflect that? If I believe that money is a tool for the advancement and building of God's kingdom, not for me to have all my needs and wants met, does my spending reflect what I believe? Evaluate it. Just be honest. There's not like a quiz you have to come back and tell us about. Just This is for you to evaluate. How are you spending your money? The second thing, if you're taking notes, we're going to spend less than we earn. Some of you, you're going to find out when you evaluate your spending habits that you might be spending more than you make. <laughs> Welcome to America. <laughs> or you're spending right at what you make. Now, here's why this is important. You need to spend less than you earn. One, because I think to live biblically the way the Bible talks about money, we need to create margin because margin allows us to respond to the Holy Spirit moving in our lives to do the things that we otherwise would not be able to. But unless we have margin, we can't do that. And so there's really only, and I said this last week, there's really only two ways for you to spend less than you earn. The first way is you have to make more money or you have to spend less money. Now, I know when I say this, a lot of you are like, yeah, I'm going to make more money. Like, I'm going to, like, get a second job. I'm going to change jobs. I've been thinking about this anyways. It's like the Lord is speaking to me right now. Like, here's, here's the deal. And I don't want to, like, belittle. I know there are some of you, I said this last week, who you maybe have, like, a situation in your life where you've gone through a recent messy divorce or a medical thing, and you can't make any more money than you are right now. That is totally, I understand that. For the most of us, though, the majority of us, if we were to go out next week and get a job where we made more money, that would not fix our problem. Why? Because the majority of us, us, we would end up making more just so we could spend more. And so the reality is, if you want to get your spending under control and have your bank account reflect your values, you got to spend less. You need to spend less. You need to spend less than you earn. So we're going to, how are we going to spend less? If you're taking notes, number three, we're going to create a budget. Now, let's pause because I know this pink word here, budget, some of you, I just triggered you, right? Like, you, you immediately are like, okay, like, in our house, that's like saying Voldemort in Harry Potter. It's, you know, the thing that shall not be named. We don't talk about that. Or you're like, man, I'm like a financial hippie. I just like to go with the flow and the breeze. Like, don't, don't constrain me or give me this. I get it. Or maybe, maybe for you, like, I triggered you because, like, you immediately, when you heard the word budget, you thought about maybe the argument you and your spouse had on the car ride to work or to church this morning or yesterday after dinner, whatever. And it just made you be like, oh, it feels so restrictive and confining. And, right? Because in our mind, for some reason, for the majority of us, 
When we hear the word budget, what we immediately think is that's restricting, that's confining, that's limiting, that's, that's harsh, that's, that's controlling me. What if we reframed the way we think about a budget? John Maxwell gives this beautiful definition of a budget. I think it's great. He says this. He said, a budget, a budget is telling your money, there we go, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. In essence, at its simplest form, a budget is a plan. A budget is you telling your money, you taking control, you saying you're going here and here and here, instead of waiting till the end of the week or the end of the month being like, where did it all go? I don't understand what happened to it. No, it's you telling it. It's you having ownership over the way you manage it, telling it where to go. Proverbs 21.20 says it this way. It says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but what do fools do? They spend everything or whatever they get. The idea here is that a fool spins and spins and spins, but the wise pause and they plan and they're intentional and meticulous. Why are we going to make a budget? Because it's God's money and he has asked you to manage it and we don't want to manage it by the whim we want to plan. We want to be intentional. We want to know and tell our money, you're going here and you're going here and I have control. I am not left to do whatever you tell me to do. I will be in charge of how I spend it. Now, let's pause for a second because maybe like you need help making a budget. I want to give you a couple resources. If you go to the Mount's website and on the little search bar, if you type in the word finances, you will find we have listed a great little spreadsheet that you can download and you can punch all kinds of numbers in there and begin to run your budget. If you also go to that Crown Financial website, you can find that estimated budget expenses thing. And both of those are things where you have to like download them and you have to look at your bank statements and transfer it in. Maybe that's your cup of tea. That's not really my thing. I like it's 2023. I would much rather have if my bank account just automatically connects to my budget software or app so it transfers immediately. If you want something more like that and you do not have a current budget that you're using, let me give you a couple recommendations. One, there's a, there's a company called Mint, there's one called You Need a Budget, and there's one called Every Dollar. And I'm saying this because the reality is in the United States of America, 72% of Americans do not have a budget on a monthly basis. So 22% are all that budget. And of that 22%, 80 do not stick to it. We need a budget. Now, let's pause because I know saying that you might be like, well, like I've tried a budget, Adam. Like, we, like every month I try, I make it this thing. And like, man, it just gets so depressing how easily we go over this thing. Like I'm just moving things around. I get it, right? Like there have been plenty of months where I set a budget for something and X happens or Y happens or I just have this, this want, this desire. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to go do this. I, that happens. I understand that. So here's my advice for you. If you find yourself, your family, or you as an individual constantly making a budget and constantly blowing past it or overshooting it or whatever it happens to be, let me give you some advice. Perhaps the issue is not the budget. It's that you need some sort of mechanism or tool that can hold you accountable in this spiritual discipline. 
And you say, what do you mean? For instance, there are so many areas of our lives when it comes to our walk with Jesus where we have built-in accountability. For instance, I have computers and iPad devices and iPhone devices and all these things. And every single one of them has a program, an app that blocks things to hold me accountable to the very things I look at on my screen. Why would we not want that same help when it comes to how we stick to our budget? Let me give you an example. Maybe for you, the category that you continuously go over your budget in is eating out. Like you love a good meal or you just like have 19 kids traveling to sports and you're stopping at every fast food restaurant you can on your way between them and you just blow through that constantly over and over again. Here's some advice, maybe some accountability measures. One, it's not my favorite, but it's harsh and it works. Maybe you say, hey, I'm gonna set my budget. I'm just gonna throw out a number, an even number. I'm gonna set my budget for eating out $100 a month. So what you do as you go to the bank and you withdraw $100 cash, and every time you eat out, you use that cash. When it runs out, it runs out. You are done eating out for the month. Now, I know that's super inconvenient. Like, who goes to ATMs anymore, right? Like, where to even find one? I get it. Maybe that's the point is to make it incredibly difficult for you. Maybe a different option. Go get a prepaid Visa or MasterCard and load that card with the amount you need for that budget category for that month and only use that for that. When it runs out, it's done for the month and you move on to the next one. One of the things we have for my kids, we have this app for their debit card that allows me to go in and I can put in categories of spending and they have their entire account that when they hit that category full, like online gaming, when they spend a certain amount, they can't spend any more in online gaming. It is a built-in accountability tool for them. Maybe, just maybe, you need to take this hard initial step to begin to create some accountability so that you can create the habits and the patterns to help you live a better life. I'm not saying do it forever. I'm not saying 60 years from now you're still withdrawing $100 cash. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you start with this and build the practice and the discipline of it. So we're going to evaluate our spending habits. We're going to spend less than we earn. We're going to create a budget. Four, we're going to avoid lifestyle creep. What do I mean by this? I'll be honest. This one, remember, money says spend me. And if you want to get your spending under control, you have to have margin and freedom to be able to use that as a tool for the kingdom of God. And I'll be honest, this idea of lifestyle creep, if you're not familiar with that phrase, this is one that really personally I struggled with um, for a long time in my life when I was younger. I believed, whether I would admit it or not, what would happen is I would have a certain salary and I would get a raise or I would get a promotion or I'd go get a new job. And I would immediately figure out how can I spend that extra now? Oh, I've always wanted this car. I've always wanted this house. I've always wanted to have this gym membership. I've always wanted to go to the movies this many times or play golf this many times or do this or go on this vacation. And so I immediately, anytime I got a bump in my lifestyle, I immediately spent it. Then I read this book and there was this quote in this book called The Treasure Principle. And this quote rocked my world. The author said, basically, and I'll paraphrase, he said, God does not prosper you to increase your standard of living. God prospers you to increase your standard of giving. And so I began to research, like, is that really realistic? And what I found is person after person through history, faithful followers of Jesus who made a decision, this is enough. No matter how much more I make, or earn or get, I will not raise my standard of living. 
And you see people, and you look at them in history, and where they started at a certain salary, and they were giving away maybe 4% to God's kingdom. Ten years later, their salary exponentially grew so much, but they kept their standard of living the same, that they're giving away 80 or 85% of their income to God's kingdom. And they are thriving. And I just wonder, what would it look like if we as a church, a group of people, said enough is enough? We're going we're gonna to commit to a certain lifestyle and whatever God chooses to bless us with above and beyond that, we will hold it open-handed as managers of his resources. Imagine the, the counter-cultural difference we would make. And lastly, we're going to practice the discipline of contentment. Practice the discipline of contentment. G.K. Chesterton says it this way, there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. The idea here is we all want more, enough. You can spend your life chasing it and chasing it, or you can just decide, I just want less, and then you're content. Contentment is key. For those of us that have made the decision to follow Jesus, part of our spiritual journey, part of our spiritual formation is learning to be content with what we have and desire less of what the world has to offer. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Look at verse 11. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have what? What does he have? I have, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul, literally when he's writing to the church in Philippi, he says, I have learned to be content. It is not a natural part of us. No child is born content. They scream and cry for everything. They always want something. And when they grow up to be a toddler, everything is theirs. When they become a teenager, they want more. None of us are ever born content. It is not our natural DNA. Our fallenness, our brokenness makes us discontent. But Paul says, I have learned to be content. It is a spiritual discipline that he practiced and he got better at over time. And you and I as followers of Jesus, we need to practice being content and pushing back the discontentment in our lives. And you're like, well, how do I do? Like, I can't just like all of a sudden tell myself, be content, be content. That's not what I'm saying. Maybe, and one of the tools, I'll just personally in my life, one of the tools that I have been able to use in my life is that when I have these seasons of discontent, where I feel like there's something in my soul that's restless and I think I can buy or spend and that thing, whatever it is, will make me happy and give me joy and satisfaction. I have to pause and take a minute and maybe you have to do the same where you spend a season going without. What I mean by that is maybe you're saying, man, like I love getting a latte every single morning and there is nothing wrong with a latte. I'm not saying that. 
But I'm saying maybe to help you get control of your spending, if that's something you love desperately and you want and it brings you joy and brings you happiness, I'm not saying give it up forever, but what would it look like for you to say for the next 30 days, 40 days, or 60 days, I'm going to go without this so that I can learn to be content with God. In fact, one of the questions I sometimes ask myself when I'm wrestling with this is this question. Will owning this thing keep me from doing other things that God wants me to do? Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Everything you buy or get says something about what you believe about God. Will owning that thing keep you from doing the other things that God wants you to do? Maybe it's a yes, maybe it's a no. You are a manager, not an owner. Spend his money wisely. Let's pray. This morning, just as we kind of sit in this moment, I'm curious. How many of you, if you were being honest and just kind of admitting this, you would say that there is a little bit of discontentment in your life right now? Maybe it's you look at what others have and you wish you had that. You, you wish you could have the things they have, go to the places they go, or whatever it happens to be. Maybe you just feel this yearning in your soul that something isn't right. And so you, you shop, you buy, you spend, you purchase, whatever it is, hoping that it can kind of fill. Maybe you're just in this season right now where when it comes to your spending, it is out of control and not where you want it to be because you feel discontent. If that's you this morning at all of our campuses, would you be bold? I just want to pray for you. Would you just slip up your hand? Father, I pray for every hand that is raised. Jesus, I pray that we would be content with you. That your goodness, your gifts, your mercy, your grace, your presence would be enough. As we continue praying, maybe you're here this morning and I think one of the things that's fun about money is that money really can do a lot of things. Like if you think about it, money can like open up future possibilities, money can equal education, money can make new doors open, make, money can make life different, bring like there's a lot that money can do and I think that's why we're drawn to it so much because money really can change the trajectory of someone's life when it is handled and done right. But at the same time, there's a lot that money can't do. Money can't fix your broken relationships. Money can't redeem how your kids feel about you. Money can't fix the longing in your soul. And I think Jesus understood this. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, he says, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I'll just tell you the answer is no. Jesus understood that you cannot quench 
a spiritual thirst with a physical thing. And so 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to this earth to live a sinless, perfect life. And after 33 years, he, he died. He was beaten. He was murdered. He was put into a grave and punished for your sins. But three days later, he rose from the dead, defeated death, defeated hell, and promised everyone who believes in him that he would be their Lord and he would be their king and he would give them an abundant life for this now and all of eternity if they simply trusted in him and he would be the thing that would quench their spiritual thirst where they would never go thirsty or hungry again. And let me just tell you this morning at all of our campuses, if you are here today and there is this discontent in your soul and you don't have Jesus, nothing will ever fix it but him. You need a savior to fix what's wrong with you. And today, you are not here by accident. If you want to pray that prayer to accept Jesus as your Lord and your King, just in this moment, with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? If your hand is raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner. I need you. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Be my king. Be my Lord. Today, I surrender all to you. Amen.